Anyways, my name is Trevor. I'm really glad to be here with you guys. Uh, like Jared said, we're picking up with the next of our, our values. So if you throw our six values up on the slide, we're going through this, right? This is a, a, a kind of present slash future. Who are we now? Where are we? Like, what are we pointed towards? Now, last week we talked about that we practice the one another's in community. And if you'd show the next slide, it'll show the, the graphic that we've chosen to use for we practice the one another's in community. Where we left off last week was talking about how we are like a fire. Right? If you take a log out of the fire, what happens to that log? goes out, right? And you and I have felt this spiritually. At whatever season of our lives, when we've disengaged from the family of God, we falter. But if you take that exact same log and you put it back into the fire, what happens? Poof, right? It blazes. Now, and then that cumulative blaze of all of those logs, like feeding off of and igniting another, that creates a cumulative sphere of influence, a cumulative glow of warmth and of light. And in Jesus' words from John 13, that glow of warmth and light evidences to a watching world that we are his disciples. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, if you love one another, the world will know you are my disciples. They will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, where that kind of leaves us off tailing into today is we're going to ask, like, how does the body build itself up into maturity and participation with God on his mission. That's our whole goal for today, okay? You guys ready? All right, so this is our value for today. We're looking at, we are zealous to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. Now, out of all of those words, the only one that's probably a bit of a hiccup is zealous, right? What does zealous mean? So to be zealous, to have zeal, means you have a strong or an energetic or a passion for seeing something done for seeing something accomplished, for supporting something. You have an energetic, a passionate, a strong desire to see something done, a strong support of something. Now, when you apply that to see, serving the poor and seeing the lost redeemed, you are essentially applying your zeal to the singular mission of Christ. Inarguably, the mission of God in the world is to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. That is his mission. And many of us, like, we probably already have some, like, knowledge about, like, what does it mean to serve the poor, right? You got, like, shelters, and, and, and I kind of know what it means to see the lost redeemed, right? You, like, evangelize, you, like, stand on a milk crate and, like, hold a sign. Um, and we know that the church, like, the body of Christ has a role in that game. But ultimately, I would say that probably many of us at an individual level are not really sure where we fit, and as a result of that, we find ourselves sitting on the sidelines. Now, if I may give you just like a quick story just to set up our time for today. Um, you guys know I used to work with families and kids professionally. For seven years, I worked for the city of Post Falls, and I helped run kids and families programs. Uh, one of my responsibilities with that was I ran summer camps for kids, and it was possible like one of the favorite seasons of my life. Um, now, I started off as a camp counselor. So I'd have my little kids running around and we'd like play games and sing songs. Um, <clears throat> and one of the games that we played a lot was kickball, right? We do other games, but like we play kickball a lot. And often you'd be playing kickball and like 15 minutes into this, you'd look over on the sidelines and everyone would be out there playing and having fun. You'd look over and there'd be like one or two kids just like sitting down in the grass. And so... 
obviously, as a loving and talented counselor, I would approach them and <clears throat> go up and say, hey, like, what's going on? Like, do you want to play? Like, how are you doing? Now, how do you think a 10-year-old would respond to that question? Like, hey, how are you doing? Fine. <laughs> Is anything wrong? No. My belly hurts. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, <clears throat> now, ultimately, if you, like, continue to ask, like, no, like, okay, your belly hurts. I'm sorry. Something you ate. Anything else going on? Like, often what we'd get down to is, like, Trevor, I'm just not good at kickball. Oh, gosh. Mr. T, right? That was my name. Mr. T, I'm not good at kickball. And that was their words, but what they meant was, I'm not good enough at kickball, right? I'm not good enough to play with my team. I'm not good enough to be desired out on the field. I'm not good enough, in my own eyes, to get out and off the sidelines onto the field. Now, usually in these instances, like, that's just the hard reality, right? Who were the kids playing kickball? The ones who were good at it, Right? They were the ones eager to get out on the field. Who were the ones left on the sidelines? The ones who were not good at it. Now, I apologize if I'm bringing up PE class PTSD. <clears throat> now, so the, the kids on the sidelines, right, they, they would watch the others play, and ultimately they would feel, there's no way I can keep up with them. There's no way if I get up that I'm going to belong on that field. Ultimately, I don't belong out there. Now, me being an authority figure, like, I could coerce them to play, right? Like, I don't care, your belly hurts, whatever. Like, you have to play the game. Like, it's summer camp. You have to play. I could do that, and I could exercise my authority to coerce them out onto the field. But ultimately, as you guys intuitively know, that's not what we want. And a huge difference is I could use my authority to coerce them into obedience, but imagine that same situation, rather than me coercing them into obedience, if someone on the field, one of their friends, came up of their own volition and said, would you play with us? If another kid invited them onto the field, it had a hugely impactful difference, far above and beyond anything I could say as an authority. Now, we're talking about kickball, right? So it feels really flippant, but ima like, imagine this with me. Real life souls people, eight years old, whatever, people, a person feeling so vulnerable that they've self-selected out of participation. They're literally stuck on the sidelines, stuck in a corner of their own self-doubt and their own fears. And in that moment, someone they desire to be wanted by approaches them and says, I want you. I'm willing to support you. I want you to be part of my team. I mean, it's powerful. I think we felt that in our adult lives as well. And in this kickball example, <laughs> again, hard reality. The kid that's getting invited off the sidelines, they get on the field. Like, they're not magically an all-star, right? Like, <laughs> they get up there, it's their turn to kick, and they whiff, right? They strike out. But just as often, they'd get a base hit. 
They'd get one or two bases and they would push their team forward and they would push their teammates forward because they got a mediocre hit and they proved, they moved their team forward. <clears throat> and even with their mess ups, with their whiffs, with their strikeouts, if their team stayed behind them, they would know that they belonged on the field. If their team turns on them, says you're not doing good enough, like, where do you think they're gonna end up? Like, back on the sideline. But if their team stays behind them, they will conclude, they will know where they belong, which is on the field. Now, for our topic today, when it comes to serving the poor and seeing the lost redeemed, where are you? Are you on the field? For one reason or another, are you on the sideline? Now, my goal today is not to be the authority that coerces us into obedience. That could work, but ultimately would not be very impactful. My goal for today is for us to be the teammates that invite one another out onto the field. That we support one another with the whiffs and the strikeouts. We support one another because when we get a base hit, it will move the team forward. It will expand the kingdom of God. At the end of today, I want you to know where you belong. You belong on the field. In the words of practicing the one another's, Hebrews 10 says, we stir one another up to love and good works. That's what we're doing today. We are stirring one another up, getting one another up off of the field, off the sidelines, stirring one another up to love and good works. Now, before I go any further, I want to hit pause, right? Because I think of all the six values that we have covered or will cover, this is the most intimidating. If you guys look at that banner, right? Jesus' gospel is for all of life. Woo! We live by prayer and God's word. Yeah! We practice the one another's in community. All right. <laughs> We're joyfully generous. Woo! We multiply and send disciples. Oh, that's. We're zealous to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. Oh. I would argue it's the most intimidating for us to consider, but also it's the most corrective. It's probably the one where if we examine ourselves present and future, it's the one where God has given us the most room for growth. And I want to like, acknowledge this. We're being called up into something that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And with the correction in there, it's important that we acknowledge that correction in a life-giving, gospel-centered way. So as a church, we're really good at, at, at something. We're really good at landing on the gospel. And this is an amazing quality. This has transformed the way that I understand Jesus. It's given me love for him because if you consider like a flow of call to correction, right? If you look at this next slide, if you ever receive correction or a call to obedience, you know like often what can happen is we get a feeling of condemnation. I'm just not doing it good enough. I should be doing more. I should, 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 should. And what ultimately happens if we're rooted in the gospel is we move from our feelings of condemnation, all the things we should be doing, and we land at rest in Christ. We say, Jesus, thank you that my merit will never earn me into your kingdom. 
It was your grace that sought me out. Thank you that even though I've failed you for the last 20 years, you love me as you love your son. I am perfect and spotless in your eyes. Jesus, thank you for your unimaginable grace. That is the gospel. And as a church, we are incredible about preaching this over and over and over. And many of us know how to preach this to our hearts. And it provides rest for the soul. But ultimately, that's not the end of the chain. If you go to the next slide, there's one final step. And that is gospel-fueled obedience. The gospel is never meant to stop us from obeying because of the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is meant to allay any sense of condemnation you have. It is meant to do that. And then, out of gratitude and love for our Savior, it's meant to push us into gospel-fueled obedience. Because the truth is, we can use the gospel as brakes on our obedience. We can slow down our obedience because of the gospel. Jesus, thank you. We can mean it, and it can be good. It can be good because it relieves us of untrue condemnation. But we could and should use it as fuel for our motivation, fuel for our obedience. Now, Dallas Willard has a great quote that says this, quote, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. We choose effort and action. In other words, doing does not have to be earning. Doing can be part of the way that we're formed more and more like Christ. So if we're going to talk about serving the poor, seeing the lost redeemed, we need to be willing right now, like 100% right now, you and I need to be willing to decide to get off the bench. Like before we go any further, would you be willing to make that decision? Not to be perfect, but to say, okay, I want off the bench. Father, would you help me know what that looks like? We're not going to be doing this through coercion or condemnation, but we're going to be doing this through gospel-fueled obedience for the rest of the day. Now, there's a prayer on the screen that I've been praying over my own heart. If you just read through that really quickly, and if you can assent to this, I'm going to ask in about 30 seconds, would you pray this with me out loud? If you can assent to this, even in a baby step, would you pray this out loud with me right now? I'm going to begin if you just jump in. Holy Spirit, would you help me embrace your call on my life? Help me identify the reasons I'm hesitant to participate in your mission. Help me to see your gospel as rest. It guarantees your grace over my life. Nothing I do can increase your dedication to me. Help this good news fuel me into obedience and trust. Free me of shame and fear. Change me today. Amen. We are zealous to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. 
uh, you'll notice there's a graphic underneath this, and this graphic is going to frame the rest of our time today. You'll notice it's these little spheres of influence that ping off of each other like ripples in water, that they're interwoven, they're interconnected, and they make a difference on one another's lives. Now, each of us, every single person here, we have a sphere of influence, right? There's people near the core of our lives that we have great influence over. And then if you extend that out a little bit, there's people we're in connection with regularly, and we have some influence over them. And then there's people like on the fringes, we bump into them, and we might not have much, but we do have some exposure and therefore influence on them. And a question that you and I need to ask one another is this, what effect do I have on the people within my spheres of influence? I would ask you, if you're a note taker or a journaler, would you write this down? And this is your homework for the week. In prayer, rest in the gospel, just ask, what effect do I have on the people within my spheres of influence? Today, we're going to frame our conversation by looking at three ways that we can use our spheres of influence. Um, number one is that we can use our influence to invite. We invite one another onto the field. We invite one another to see that we are all part of the plan right, as a church body. Number two, we use our spheres of influence and we participate. We serve the poor. We help see the lost redeemed through evangelism and service. And then number three is that we partner we partner with the family of God to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. Those are three ways that our spheres interact with other human beings. Now, number one, we invite. We invite one another out onto the field. We invite one another to see that we are part of the plan. Uh, a sentence that we used last week that's going to frame our conversation today is, the family of God is God's chosen tool for our transformation and his mission. Okay? So you'll notice we're going to start with our transformation, us inviting one another, us stirring one another up to love and good works has a transformative effect on each other, right? So those two things, transformation of one another and participating in God's mission, those go hand in hand. Right? Logically, that just makes sense. It's really hard for us to participate in God's mission if we're not actually being transformed more and more like Christ, if we are not building one another up for the work of ministry, how are we going to participate in mission? At best, unequipped. And so God has given you and I, one another, for the building up, for the equipping, for the transformation of one another. What this means is we call and invite one another out onto the field, right? And then again, we support and develop one another. Even with the whiffs and the strikes, we support and we develop one another. Now, if I was going to put this in one sentence out of Ephesians chapter 4, this is Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. Paul is writing, and he says this, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those are some different titles and skill sets. He gave people with those skill sets, quote, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He gave... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, those people with those skill sets to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What that means is the whole body of Christ are the saints. You, not through anything you've done, but through the grace of Christ in your life, you are a saint. You are a saint. 
You are a saint. You didn't do that. Through Christ, you've been transformed. You've been given a new, like, anointing through Christ. You are a saint. And you're being equipped for the work of ministry. Now, Paul, right, the guy who wrote this, he's the famous one that we all remember. He ran around and had the horse and the lights and the letters. But who, in Paul's words, was doing the ministry? The saints. Like, we all remember Paul, but it was the saints, the unnamed people in Philippi, in Colossae, in Ephesus, in Rome, the the saints scattered throughout the regions. They were the ones doing the work of ministry. And that work of ministry, like obviously it applies to the internal strength of the church, serving of one another, but it also extends outside the four walls of the church, the ways that we do ministry in our community, the way we saturate the inland Northwest and the nations with the good news of Jesus. Now, if I was going to put this in in words that we've used before, what Paul is saying is that everyday disciples make disciples. It's the everyday disciples that make disciples. So we invite one another to see ourselves as saints, to get onto the field. We invite one another to be everyday disciples that make disciples. That's the first way we use our spheres of influence. The second way is that we participate, right? The people in our spheres of influence, we serve the poor and we work to see the lost redeemed. And this is the mission part. So if the family of God is God's chosen tool for our transformation and his mission, we need to know what his mission is. And Jesus himself tells us very clearly in Luke chapter four what it is. It is this. Uh, If you want to turn there with me, it's Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Also be on the screen. It says this, And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was Jesus' custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Kind of puts his finger on it, stands up and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is standing up and saying, I'm here right now to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he's reading that poetic prophecy, it applies both tangibly, those who are physically poor, physically oppressed, physically captive, physically blind, but he also intends it spiritually, those who are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually captive. All of that adds up to Jesus stands up in the synagogue and using the words of scripture, he says, I'm here to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. And the record of Jesus' life shows that as he did that, he was always calling people. It's like people, real life people, 
unimpressive, undeserving, not equipped people. And he said, follow me. In our language, everyday disciples. And he wraps them up into his kingdom, he transforms them, and then he sends them outward to the world to further his mission. He sends them outward to make disciples. He gathers everyday disciples and he sends them outward to make disciples. And the truth for you and I is that he's wrapped you and I up into his mission. Like we, little Post Falls folks, like we are the everyday disciples. That's us. And so this next part is where we're going to put flesh on serving the poor, seeing the lost redeemed. What does that actually mean? But it starts, everything up to this point has been starting with seeing ourselves as partners with Christ on his mission. That's where we need to begin. And to frame this, I'm going to use one final verse out of 1 Peter chapter 2. It's verses 9 and 10, and I've broken it into two parts because we're going to reference both of them. Part A, verse 9, it says this, But you, saints, everyday disciples, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people for his own possession. That so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So part A tells us what our role is in the mission. Jesus is saying, or Peter's writing, that Jesus has chosen us. He's made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we would proclaim his excellencies. That is our number one job description. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. He's done something amazing for us. He called us out of darkness and into his marvelous, not mediocre, his marvelous light. That is our number one job description, and it is the number one way that we serve the poor and see the lost redeemed. But that, again, that phrasing, serve the poor, see the lost redeemed, like it can feel kind of abstract. I don't know if you guys feel that. And it can feel a bit hard to translate to like my practicals, my life. So what does it mean? So this is where part B comes in, okay? So if you look at part B, see how it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the pattern we're going to apply. And we're going to apply that to our vision statement. If you'd um, read this with me, it's going to be on two slides. You'll notice, uh, go ahead, go to the next slide. Uh, You can ignore the top part, but that bottom part, if you'd read this with me, there's two slides. This is our our vision statement that fuels our values. I'm just going to jump in if you'd read it with me. We exist because of King Jesus and for King Jesus. He deserves honor and glory forever. Therefore, our purpose is to saturate the inland Northwest and the nations with the good news of our glorified King. Through the formation of wholehearted disciples who are connected in life-giving relationships, so every man, woman, and child Jesus gives us and sends us to is seen, known, loved, and gospeled well. Now you'll notice that this ends with this phrase, every man, woman, child Jesus gives us and sends us to 
people in our spheres of influence is seen, known, loved, and gospeled well. Remember part B. If we were going to apply that pattern to this, it gives us pretty amazing instruction. Think of those who are unseen, those who are unknown, those who are unloved and ungospeled. The way that we serve the poor, the way that we see the lost redeemed, is by thinking through that. The way we proclaim the excellencies of Christ is we go to the unseen, we go to the unknown, we go to the unloved, and we go to the ungospeled. And what we do is through our actions and our words, we say, I see you. I see your humanity. I see the image of God that is in you. I see your struggles. Through our words and our actions, we say, I want to know you, the real you, the real stuff, not the image you portray or the the box you're put into, but I want to know the real you, the real problems, the real pains, the real hopes, the real joys. And I begin to translate how the good news of Jesus comes home. Because I know you, I can translate the gospel to you. And then through our words and our actions, I will love you. I will tangibly, practically, self-sacrificingly, devotedly love you. Now, if we stop there, seeing, knowing, and loving, we have effectively served We've served the poor. We've served the unseen, unknown, and unloved. But if we go one step further, we go from serving to creating the possibility of seeing the lost redeemed. And that means through our words and our actions, we say, I will gospel you. I will proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you will no longer be alone, but now you will be God's, so that you will no longer be without mercy, but now you will receive mercy. Now, if this value is going to go from word to deed, from bud to fruit, then every one of us as players in this mission needs to ask the question on the screen. Who are the people in my spheres of influence that are unseen, unknown, unloved, and ungospeled? And I would ask if you're a note taker or journaler, add this. The first question was, what effect do I have on the people in my spheres of influence? And this question is, who are the people in my spheres of influence that need the effect of the gospel? Now, if you're having a hard time thinking like, who are the unseen in my life, right? Probably a good place to start are like, who are the people you don't want to look at? (laughs) If you don't want to look at them, other people probably don't want to look at them either. And I have to ask the question, if someone walked through the doors of our church and they were visibly poor, like literally smelled bad, looked poor, like how would we respond to them? My gut is like, woo, grab some coffee. 
And yet what we're being called to is to proclaim the excellencies of our king. And, like, that doesn't only have to be the poor, right? This could be the lost. Like, if someone walked through the doors of our church or into your workplace or into your life, someone from the LGBTQ community visibly disagrees with you, like, how would we treat them? Would they feel welcomed among us? And would we actively work, put ourselves onto the field so they feel welcomed among us, so they feel seen, known, loved, and gospeled? And we can carry that a step further. Like, not only who are the people you don't want to look at, like, who are the people that are hard to love? Again, if you don't want to love them, odds are someone else doesn't want to love them either, which means they're probably feeling unloved. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, says, quote, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so you would be like your Father who is in heaven. And then he finishes by saying, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, if we're going through all this and you're thinking like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Me neither. Which is why we start where we're able. We start where we're able. And we are formed through doing. Through our practice, through our doing, we gather skills. We are developed more and more like Christ. We invite the neighbor in. Like, it can start there. If you're not sure how to gospel someone, start with seeing. Say hi. Invite them in. Get to know them. Know their story. Begin to love them. Start there. I think there we all are capable right now to begin. And when you start to question, how do I make disciples? How do I gospel someone? I want to give you a bit of a break and just ask, like, have you ever been discipled? Do you feel as though you've been gospeled well? It's impossible to pass on something that you've never been given. And so if you're listening to this and thinking, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't fully know what the gospel is. I don't know if I've been discipled. Expecting you to do this. What I would ask is, would you join a community? As a church, we have gospel communities that meet in homes for the primary sake of discipling one another. Gospeling one another. That's the primary purpose of our gospel communities. So if you feel totally ill-equipped, get discipled. Jump in. That's the first step, is not getting off the sidelines and becoming an all-star. It's getting off the sidelines and just like getting in the queue to take a swing. Join the gospel community. Again, the gospel is not meant to be a break on our obedience. It's meant to be fuel for our obedience. Jesus sends us out. And what sending out means is we expand our spheres of influence. We have eyes willing to expand our spheres of influence. This is what it means to see the unseen, know the unknown, love the unloved. Is be willing to extend ourselves and bring people into our spheres of influence. And as we think of all this, there's a hundred challenges and reasons this is really hard. And before, like, 
I'll acknowledge them, but rather than go there, I want us to consider the opposite of that. Rather than talk about the challenges, I want to talk about the privilege. Think about the honor wrapped up into this command, that you, you, a saint through Christ, you are called and transformed in such a way that the people in your spheres of influence are seen, known, loved, and gospeled the people around you, because of you, will hear the good news of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because of God using your influence, people have the opportunity to be redeemed through the Spirit. That honor far outweighs any concern or challenge. It doesn't negate them. It doesn't make them go away. But we definitely need to land there before we start talking about the hard stuff. And I do want to end here on point three, that acknowledging the hard stuff. It's hard. It's awkward. I regularly struggle. Which is why point number three, we use our spheres of influence to partner with one another. The good news is you are not a lone ranger and you are not operating in isolation. God has not made you an island all alone and said, go do something there's no way you're capable of. He's planted us into the family of God for our transformation and the joining of his mission. So the role of community means that together we creatively and honestly wrestle with this. Where you're at, where you want to be, the people around you, how to serve them. We wrestle with our reservations and our fears, but ultimately we grow and we equip one another. In the words of Hebrews, we stir one another up to love and good works. Think about how freeing, rather than you like alone having to figure out how you do this, gathering in a living room with people you know and trust and compiling a list. Okay, what do I have? What do you have? Okay, what are you good at? What am I good at? Okay, we've got this long list of thing, resources we have, abilities we have. Now, how do we employ this to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed? Think of like, how, how much more freeing is that? to gather around mission with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not all on you in isolation, but it's together in community. And what that means is the result of our friendship, the result of our friendship is that the people around us experience the gospel. The result of our friendship is the people within our spheres of influence experience the gospel. And again, this is the reason we need regular, life-giving community. Now, this is not a plug for a program. This is my desire to see all of us built up into Christ-likeness. And I know that we need one another, which is why I'm mentioning gospel communities over and over. And if you'd like to join one, like Jared said, there's the uh, cards in the back of the seat. Check the box and say, I want to learn more. Or use the church app. It's actually useful. And go and look. Like, are there communities near me that I can join, that I can begin to be discipled and learn how to make disciples? Now, next week, we are concluding our value series. It is this, that we multiply and send disciples in churches. This is the way we don't stagnate as a church, but we grow. We grow and we create spiritual offspring that then go and participate with God on his mission. So the result of serving the poor, the result of seeing the lost redeemed, is we make new disciples. 
And as we grow them up to be more and more like Christ one day, in a sign of maturity and flourishing, they go on to make disciples. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, I thank you that you, um, you are the one who tells us to hit pause on our condemnation. You are the one who says, I have chosen you and loved you not for anything you've done, simply because I'm devoted to you. You are the one that reminds us of that over and over and over. Father, would you help us embrace that and learn what it means to be fueled by that to participate with you on mission, to care for the people around us, to see, know, love, and gospel the people around us. Holy Spirit, would you give us creativity? Would you guide us in this process and help us be devoted to this process? It's a lifelong journey. Amen. Hey, I'm a 100% like excited about um, question and response. Oh, it's keep bringing it up because I'm hoping it turns into something cool. And so uh, if you had questions or a response that you want to share about any of this, um, I would encourage you to text or email it to questions at olivelife.church. And uh, this might be kind of a waste of time, but it also might be really helpful. So as an experiment, I just made a 60-second countdown timer. And I'm going to go refill my water bottle, and I'll be right back in about 60 seconds. That gives you some time to think about a question, um, send it in. You're also welcome to raise your hand, and I'll be right back. Anybody just want to raise their hand? Got a question? Amy, is there anything that's come in digitally? Perfect. So the first digital question is opening my home to new people or opening my schedule to new people feels overwhelming because I already don't see the people I call friends and love. What encouragement would you give to help me with this tension of wanting to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed but feeling overwhelmed by it? Um, we had a really similar question in the last service. Uh, I think because this probably applies to 100% of us, right? Like we feel that deeply. Um, and so a couple things I, I might say, what some encouragement I would give is first, I'm glad you're feeling that tension. It means there's people that God's gifted you with that you love, that you want time with. Um, second thing I might consider is we live in such a, a way that the question is not will we have to decide who we spend our time with it's when and how will we decide to spend our time with certain people like we live in a world of Facebook right we got 2,000 friends from high school college and beyond that I have the opportunity to be connected with and I've had to choose who I am and am not connected with and so that's just a reality that we're all navigating and I would argue that the best reason to make those decisions is serving the poor and seeing the lost redeemed. That's the best reason. 
to open our homes and open our schedules. Um, and, and one other thing I would say, oh, thanks. Um, one other thing I would say is, and if it, can I just be blunt? Um, I know what I tend to do, and I think many of us tend to do, is we take an American lifestyle with an American schedule, meaning we work full time, we send our kids to baseball practice, whatever that is, like we take an American lifestyle and what we try to do is we take a Jesus instruction and we put it on top of an already over full American lifestyle. Right? Americans are already over busy before you even add an element of religiosity, right? And so what we're doing is we're taking an overly full plate and then we're adding Jesus on top. And I think frankly, He's asked us to clear the slate and say, don't start with the base American lifestyle and then add me to it. He's saying, let me renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let me rebuild your schedule from the ground up with new priorities, new expectations, new ideas of what it means to be human. If I was going to use a silly example, like a lot of us think it's normal to have our kids in multiple sports and, and athletics and stuff, right? Prior to 200 years ago, like that didn't even exist. That wasn't on the human schedule. And yet we think, no, that's normal. I need that. That must be a driving force in my life. So I would just question that. And one thing I would just add this, is there such a thing as a, a gospel goodbye? Our, our last value for next week is we multiply and send disciples in churches. That's essentially saying goodbye to someone we love for a greater purpose. I love you so much, I'm willing to let you go serve our king. And I know it's going to cost our friendship. And I think mature or maturing Christians are able to do that with one another. But before you go there, I would also say it's possible to partner, right? That's so much of our conversation was community, partnership. What if your best friends, your family, the ones you wanted to be in community with were part of your community? And then together you served the poor and saw the lost redeemed. What better form of friendship than partnering in a meaningful thing, right? Thanks. Um, last, uh, another response. This is just someone saying, thank you. Thank you for encouraging us today. This moves my heart to be zealous for God's kingdom work. Amen. Uh, yeah, question in the front. Yeah, comment. I'm just going to give you the mic. I think something I've been encouraged by today is... I don't have to be Trevor going out and seeking like the lost and the redeemed. I don't have to be Lily. Like I can be Whitney with the gift that God has given me uniquely and just use that. Like I don't have to put on a whole nother person. But I think also what's made me think of that is the thief of comparison. Like we say like stills joy, but it also keeps me on the sidelines of like, oh, I'm not as good as this person at talking about Jesus. So I'm just going to let them go do it but there might be a form of Whitney that talks about Jesus to somebody else that might help them too, so. Uh, we got one more, looks like a question. Thank you for even when someone, even when someone is opposed to Jesus or anything Jesus, when do you proclaim Jesus? Knowing that it may push them away from me even more. Um, oh, I see, that was a, a copy paste. So there's, the real question is, when someone is opposed to Jesus or anything Jesus, when do you proclaim Jesus, knowing that it may push them away from me even more? Um, I would just encourage you in the discretion and the wisdom you're already exhibiting. It, it sounds like the Spirit of God might be telling you to put the brakes on. 
see that person, know them, love them. Ultimately, your heart is desiring their redemption. Pray for that. Keep, keep an ear and a heart that's saying, Spirit, when? When? How? How? But start with see, no love. Serve them. Serve them well. And honestly, I'm in a, a friendship with a guy right now who I've known for about two and a half, three years. And he just uh, is not super interested in the gospel. And, and yet the last two or three years, I've, I've just gotten to know him. I, I would, this is not prideful. He's, he's in a hard spot, but out of every living human being, I probably know his heart the best. No pride in that, but I've spent three years as a person in his life who listens. I just make space. It's hard to be around, and I love him devotedly because God's given me love for him over the past three years. And I bring the gospel up, and oftentimes he kind of buffs it away, and we move on. And I've wondered, God, is this a good use of my time? And as of this moment, his spirit has compelled me to stay in that relationship. And he's never said, it's a waste of your time, move on. If I would counteract that with one thing, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does say, don't cast your pearls before swine, um, which ultimately is saying, like, use discretion. Are you wasting your time? Um, and so there is legitimate reason to move on, use your time for uh, productive kingdom matters. What I'm saying is, at this moment, as I've sought the Spirit of God, he's not yet told me to do that. And so I'm committed to that, that man and my friend. Um, I'm going to add one more thing. Uh, YouTube, search Gospel Fluency, Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. It's like a four-part teaching series where he talks about how to listen to someone's story and kind of in your head, just listen for where the gospel might be relevant. Because sometimes uh, people have been bashed with the gospel so bluntly that they're just callous to it. And if you can listen and present the gospel in a way that's accurate to their heart and their needs it might get through some of the barriers and, and bear life. So YouTube, Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. Okay, that's all we got time for. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again. Thank you that even today, like this is a, an exercise, an example of what it means to invite one another onto the field, to partner with one another. Like these questions, us asking communally, we are serving like we're being made into better disciples, more able to serve the poor and see the lost redeemed through the partnership you've given us this morning. Thank you. Amen.